Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. 30-year fixed mortgages, tax benefits, and long-distance management training made easy are just a few of the perks of owning a short-term rental. The Short-Term Shop can help you buy and learn how to manage your property from anywhere in the world. Just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected. Again, that's theshorttermshop.com, and we are brokered by eXp. See y'all over there. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Short-Term Show. Today, we are answering all of your questions regarding insurance. So we have Nick Massey, the Director of Sales over at Proper Insurance, to talk to us about short-term rental insurance today. Hey, Nick, how's it going? It's going great, Avery. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So I guess let's start with just tell us a little bit about yourself and Proper Insurance and what you guys do. Yeah, so... Again, my name is Nick Massey. I'm formal title director of sales at Proper Insurance. Um, our specialty is short-term rentals and even mid-term style rentals for insurance. And really, the the company is a culmination of our ownership team's long background in hospitality coverage products in very niche markets, starting with bed and breakfasts. And they grew that business, and that that business is still alive today under a different name. Uh, but when vacation rentals started blowing up, that's when the traditional insurance products, it really started coming to light that they're missing a lot of coverages for the short-term rental marketplace. So 2014 was the birth of proper insurance, which is a custom built one of a kind insurance policy to cover short-term rental risk. It's the best way to describe it as a commercial homeowners or a commercial condo insurance policy. Um, if you're seeing regulation in your area, you're starting to see insurance requirements. You're starting to see zoning restrictions because they're defining it as a commercial activity. So it's becoming more and more uh, in the limelight that we are running a business. This is a commercial activity and you need to have commercial style protections to appropriately protect your asset. And so that's really what proper insurance is out here to do. Um, we've really built the business more around an education platform versus selling insurance. Yes, we sell insurance. That's how we make money. Um, but educating the consumer to spend a little bit more time on the insurance component for your business and make sure you're assessing your risk management correctly. And whether that's partnering with us or partnering with somebody else, we really just want to provide as much in-depth information and consultation. Um, and that's how we've built the business to where we are today. Awesome. So let's let's talk about why you might need different insurance for a short-term rental versus a long-term rental, for example. So can you hit us with the high points on that? Yeah. So properties fall into three categories in the insurance world. You have personal property, you have rental property, and then you have commercial property, right? And the landlord realm falls into the personal category. 
So it's not limited through business activity exclusions. But those policies do have business activity exclusions in them, the homeowners and the landlord policy. And the biggest limitation that they have is the business activity exclusion, which specifically states if you're making more than $2,500 a year or more on the property, profit motive does not take into account on the exclusion. You could have virtually any claim denied, liability or property damage by operating with one of those policies. And so, yeah, you bought the insurance to satisfy your mortgage, but if something actually happens at your asset, uh, you could, you're more or less self-insuring. And so that's where having a commercial component really comes into play. To just go a little bit deeper on that, they have come out with special endorsements in the market for primary homes and on landlord policies that define occupancy as short-term rental. And it does not fall into the business exclusion category with that enhancement. Problem is, is it doesn't add any additional coverage. All it's doing is just saying, you can short-term rent your house. And if a tree falls on it, we're going to pay the claim. They're not adding in you know, specific coverages around liability enhancements or uh, damage caused by, I guess, things like that. So that's where it's really important to make sure you just take the time to heavily review your coverage and where those exclusions lie, just so that you have a good understanding of what you're probably self-insuring for, maybe something you need to supplement for, um, or completely upgrade your entire insurance package. And when you say self-insure for people that aren't familiar, that means you're rolling without insurance and you're paying for whatever right. happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Florida, Florida is a tough market. And I know, I know you're probably heavily familiar with that because you guys have mm -hmm. properties there. Um, and a lot of homeowners are based on the cost of wind and hurricane insurance now. Are, are rolling the dice. They're self-insuring wind and hurricane damages. And so a lot of central Florida properties that really don't get hit like the Miamis and the Keys and stuff like that will self-insure their, their wind risk. And okay, we have $5,000 in roof damage. We'll just eat that versus spending $20,000, $30,000 on an insurance policy. Yeah, you know, the Florida situation is really interesting because I think a lot of people think that, oh, there's just so many hurricanes in Florida that now nobody will insure in Florida. And that's actually not really the primary reason. So there's always been a lot of hurricanes in Florida. But what's recently been the problem in the past few years that's caused everybody to all the insurance companies to pull out is the roof and, and damage fraud of people saying, going to their insurance companies, knowing they need they need a new roof and saying, oh, you know, hurricane such and such came through a few months back. I need a new roof. And it wasn't necessarily from the hurricane. It was just time to get a new roof. And there's a lot of insurance fraud going on with people saying, hey, I need to get these repairs done. Let's just blame it on this past storm and file an insurance claim. Yeah, they Florida had this issue for a long time with something called assignment of benefits, which no other state does. And they recently got rid of it, which is good for the insurance market down there and the consumer, but it's it's almost too late because I, I want to say it was 31 companies that went insolvent in the last four years in Florida. And that really hardens the market up, meaning there's very few areas to get insurance, right? And then it's even further exacerbated when you're doing a short-term rental, right? So removing the assignment of benefits, which basically waives your rights as a policyholder and allows the contractor to have full policy rights, that was that was a primary part of that fraud issue. Um, it 
in my opinion, basically legalized contractor fraud in these situations and, and ended up costing insurance companies so much money that they went out of business. Um, hopefully in the long term, Florida either comes out with a state solution around wind and hurricane like uh, California has done with forest fire. A lot of companies pulling out of areas in California due to forest fire. So they came out with what's called the FAIR plan, which is a state funded option to cover uh, forest fire risk. And I think Florida would probably benefit doing that. Problem is, is you got more taxes now because you got to fund the state program for wind and hurricane losses. So it's going to be an interesting ride in Florida insurance wise over the next five years, kind of see what happens if uh, carriers outside of Florida become a little bit more open and willing as the market softens to come in and start insuring risks there. Um, standalone wind and hurricane options are becoming a little bit more prevalent uh, where you can just go and get a separate wind hurricane policy versus trying to combine them on one contract, which is helping a little bit. But again, you got to weigh your risk management. They usually don't come with income protection. So if you're shut down because of hurricane damages, you're probably at a loss of revenue as well. So you really need to weigh that out um, if you're in the Florida marketplace shopping around. Yeah, I didn't mean to get so far in the weeds on that, but I think it is important for people to understand because Florida has a lot of vacation rental markets. So it's a popular place to invest in short-term rentals. And so you guys need to understand what's going on here. All right, so back to the general short-term rental side of things. So we're, we've got a short-term rental. We're thinking about buying one. Maybe we've already bought one. We're looking for insurance. So we know that we need insurance or we need our, our policy to cover things. Like you said, a tree falling on the roof or fire or damage. But what about those other things that can happen that don't really fall under those, you know, the damage and the liability, like for example, bed bugs. What happens yeah. if we get bed bugs and have to cancel a five thousand dollar reservation? Not that it's happened to me; it has twice. But anyway, yeah, it's um, you have two two types of risks that you need to think about when you're in the short term rental marketplace. Okay, you have your standard homeowner's risk, the the electrical fire, the uh, power outage, and frozen pipes. Especially, we've seen what's happened in Texas the last couple of years with that. Um, you have just a, a random vagrant kicking your door in and stealing and vandalizing your property. Like anybody is going to cover that pretty much in the insurance world. But then you also need to think about your hosting risk. I am bringing in a bunch of guests throughout the year. Um, what can happen between the, in those booking dates? And it doesn't matter if you only rent one week or if you're booked, have a booking every single week of the year, everybody has the same probability of that risk happening. So bed bugs specifically, we were first to market on that back in, I want to say 2017 or 18. Um, and it really just, it came from a, a bed bug story, just like you're talking about, lost reservation, lost income uh, with a gal in, in Oregon, uh, whose only real income was her ADU in the backyard, got bed bugs, had to shut down. Bed bug remediation can take up to three weeks. She's basically a month without income at this point. How do we solve that problem? Now, there's plenty, there's there's a number of other carriers that have come out with bed bug coverage since then. So we're not the only uh, access point. But traditionally in insurance, any type of infestation is excluded. So we bring in the bed bug coverage. And what we, we do on our policy is we cover $15,000 at a $0 deductible 
it covers the cost of remediation plus seven days of lost business income, right? And it's a very inexpensive coverage with all the carriers that are that are coming out with it. So don't think if that's an option to get rid of it, because I'll be honest, we probably file that claim once or twice every couple of weeks. Um, it happens. Now to kind of further on that point, pet-friendly properties have become super, super popular. And so we've actually enhanced that coverage uh, to include common flea remediation as well. Oh, really? So if uh, somebody's dog brings in fleas and stuff, you can, that, that makes a lot of sense that that would fall under that, but that's a- Yeah. And the common flea has, goes through the same process of remediation as bed bugs with the heat treatments and things like that. So um, it was very easy just to modify the language of the policy and and put that out to market. And, you know, that's a big target is these as these pet friendly properties increase in popularity, we're going to see more and more flea situations. And our company MO is we hate to say no. So we wanted to <laughs> add that coverage in um, to protect that that segment of this of this industry on those pet friendly properties. That's really smart. I didn't know that y'all y'all had done that. It literally just came out like a oh. week ago. <laughs> so, okay. So yeah. I'm not that far behind the time. No, no, like the first public telling of it is on this show. So. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the other ways where, whether it's through add-ons or just ways that you guys work differently than your typical, like other, I almost said a name, other uh, insurance companies that... Maybe they're more traditional insurance companies that now have short-term rental like add-ons. So what are some other things that kind of differentiate? Because you guys have, you're not the most, uh, you're not definitely not the cheapest option, but I think that you really have established yourselves as kind of the gold standard of short-term rental insurance. So let's talk about some more ways that you guys are different from the other guys. Yeah, a big thing in assessing your risk management on your property and with vacation rentals really has to come down to not only on property amenity offerings, but also how you market what's going on around your property in your community, right? So back to like, let's just say the landlord policies with the enhancement, because that's a pretty popular option for folks who have second and third homes who aren't renting out their primary. Um, a big limitation is that it's premises liability. So what that means to you, the insured, is anything that happens off your property line is not covered. So outside of your acre or city lot or your townhome, you don't have liability protection. So that's why we opted to go with the commercial side and why we think commercial insurance, again, regardless of carrier, um, is the way to go to protect your asset as a property owner because those guests vacate your premises. Now, we've gone even further because insurance is super hyper standardized. Like this policy A, B, and C in the retail market are going to be pretty much identical and they're competing on price, right? They're not so much competing around the, the overall coverage offering. So what we've done is, is we've really enhanced our liability protection for the insured by eliminating a lot of standard exclusions. Now, of course, when you eliminate exclusions and add in more coverage, the price has to go up to cover the risk. So on the dog topic, we remove the animal and pet uh, exclusions and we eliminate any type of breed limitation. And then on top of that, you're covered for off-premises liability as well. If you're a lakefront property, 
then you want to have off-premises coverage because that lake is not part of your property line, right? So when those guests go and, and enjoy the activities of the waterfront, you want to make sure that you're still protected for legal liability if something happens. I, I think another thing that that folks don't really realize a whole lot in advertising of short-term rentals is a thing called vicarious liability, which means just how you're marketing what they can go do, you can still be tied into a lawsuit, right? So go enjoy this. I may, I may not be lakefront, but I'm telling people to go enjoy the lake in my community. That's off your property line. They get hurt. They could still tie you in, right? And so you want to make sure you have that off-premises coverage in those situations. And really, that's where the big enhancement comes from on liability. Um, there's no super extreme special sauce other than eliminating these exclusions and really broadening the scope of the protection. And even beyond what you, the consumer, might think is an inherent risk, right? Like you may not consider that they get drunk and they go into the wrong condo. And now we have liquor liability, we have potential invasion of privacy from your guests and things like that. So broadening that scope and we don't really give options to remove that. Um, it's just included in the policy because again, we're really have that MO. We don't want to say no. So we try to broaden that scope of coverage so that if you do have to call and use your insurance, you know, hopefully in most cases you have protection. Hey guys, hope you are enjoying this week's episode of The Short Term Show. We are loving it. We are loving interviewing all these guests for you guys and we hope you're getting a lot of value out of it. And we just, we really love you guys. We love you so much that we have created a community just for you. We have a Facebook group specifically for short-term rental investors and there are tons of great posts every day, sharing best practices, learning new things from other short-term rental investors. And we would love to see you over there. The name of the group is the same name as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Head over and join the conversation. We look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks guys. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the content of our podcast, but you have additional short-term rental questions, we host a weekly live question session that you guys can join for free. It's at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up. So not only am I the host of this show, but I also own and manage my own properties. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. So please join us anytime for a free weekly live Q&A on Zoom. Sign up at strquestions.com. That's really interesting. So if you've got a drunk guest that accidentally goes in the condo next door to yours and something happens, then you guys cover that if you somehow, mm -hmm. if that ever gets somehow roped into that. So what does that look like? Like if they go in there and I don't know, get shot by the other person that's in there for going in there. Yeah. Yeah. Work? What does that scenario look like? So the attorneys are just going to sue whoever they can sue. Right. So the, the personal injury attorney is probably going to go after the neighbor and the host of the property because that's who they book the property through. And it's weak, but they always put in like, if you didn't host or advertise your Airbnb, this never would have happened. And if you weren't a pet friendly property, this dog wouldn't be in the community and I'd bit this person and stuff like that. So it doesn't necessarily come down that you're negligent and liable. It comes down to who's paying the defense cost. 
right? And so if you have exclusions in your coverage for things like that, you're paying that out of your own pocket to get yourself out of that out of that lawsuit. Okay, interesting. And then I, I guess I hadn't thought about the pet friendly thing. So if somebody's got a dog, they go out walking, bite somebody in the neighborhood, and you guys will cover that too in terms of you know the defense, not necessarily the liability. Or how does that work? Yeah, I mean if you're found liable, um, and again that that all comes down through the processes of discovery and the legal system. But if you're found liable, you have up to your liability limit because it's not excluded. And not excluded specifically on our contract. So um, again, if you are a pet-friendly property, that's one of the primary things you want to do in your insurance research is get the affirmatives in your policy that you don't have limitations around dog bites on or off property. Do you guys have breed exclusions for, for pets? We do not. Um, most commercial insurances that I've compared our policy to tend to not to as well. Um, but a lot of the landlord and homeowners insurance will, and it's like 16 or 17 excluded breeds. And so that's where you got to be careful. And then you get yourself into these other situations with the emotional support animals and things like that. And there's only, a, there's only so much you can do as a host to try and prohibit people. Um, but then you have the issue of people sneaking dogs in, which is unfortunately where a majority of our dog bite claims have come from over the years is people bring a dog that the host wasn't aware that they were bringing, or even they're a non-pet friendly property. And then all of a sudden you have a liability claim, uh, in your mailbox and, you know, you want to make sure you have, you have coverage for that. So you want to get that coverage, even if you're not pet friendly. I mean, I would highly recommend it just based on our claims data that most, the, the vast majority of our dog bite claims have come from non-pet friendly properties. Yeah, and it seems like you would have to find a a policy like this that doesn't have those breed exclusions because I haven't looked at a breed exclusion in a long time. But it, say German Shepherds, for example. So those are almost always on those lists of, of breeds that aren't allowed. But then they're also like one of the top um, service animal breeds. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Like that's a very slippery slope there with the insurance. Yeah, it is. And and to date, we haven't had a um, a support animal claim like that, um, where one of those dogs went off the rails. I mean, they're so highly trained, they typically won't, but it doesn't mean that the probability is zero. Um, and that's, that's kind of the game in risk management with any business, right? Is, is even if the assessment is 1%, okay, well, one out of a hundred stays, you have that probability of that happening. And so you got to think about that, right? So, even if we just go to like normal homeowners claims, just use a house fire, for example, that probability of that happening is 9%. So you have a 9% chance on any day that your house is going to catch on fire. That's just the statistics, historical through all insurance forever, right? So that's why you go, you buy insurance. You're like, it's worst case scenario. I'm buying insurance for worst case scenario. But again, it's exacerbated because you have so many guests coming in. So it's not as simple as just, although a majority of claims are slip trips and falls, uh, it, it's much more than that because you have these one-offs that happen. And those are the ones that are going to have the biggest financial impact outside of an insurance premium. Okay. Interesting. So speaking of slips, trips, and falls, let's talk about drunk people. 
So, (laughs) so you guys have, I'm going to call it alcohol coverage. I'm sure you have a better, a better term for that. So what does that look like? Cause there's so many get so many hosts that want to put out wine and want to put out all these things. And every time I see that, like, it's a great idea. I've thought about, you know, we've got places in the smoky mountains and moonshine is, is a big thing there. And it would be Mm -hmm. cool to have some like cool moonshine out, but it's like, no, you don't ever know what kind of dumb things somebody's going to do or maybe not dumb thing just have an accident and blame it on that so what does that look like yeah so there's a couple different coverages that you want to be mindful of around liquor liability so the most common one that we see that generates confusion is host liquor liability and there's confusion because if a short-term rental host you think you have host liquor liability and you can offer a bottle of wine the problem is is you need to be present So we have a commercial insurance policy on our office. If we hosted a company party with alcohol at our office, we have coverage, right? Um, What you really want, if you're going to be hosting or providing any type of wine or a six pack of beer from a local brewery or whatever like that, you just want to make sure you don't have a um, explicit liquor liability exclusion or the host liquor liability coverage. Cause that's, what's going to really limitate you. Now, I think the biggest kind of fear point is people leaving liquor behind and it not being, uh, removed on the post day inspection. And I think that's where you need to be very cognizant of your insurance coverage. Again, thinking worst case scenario, yes, you're providing a bottle of wine and, and that's, that's all fine and dandy. And, probably a majority of folks aren't going to go off the rails sharing a bottle of wine with their significant other. But if somebody leaves behind a bottle of of alcohol and that's found by the next guest who maybe have a teenage kid and, and they get drunk or get hurt, that's where big liability claims can come from. So make sure your post-day inspection has uh, remove all booze, open every cupboard and get that out of there. That's the best way to manage that risk as a host. And then on just your standard trips and falls, we have put a huge uh, basis in kind of our education model around safety. And um, maybe some of you are familiar with Justin Ford at Breezeway with his safety inspections. Um, That's kind of like the best guideline to go through. But like a lot of our underwriting requirements are safety orientated. So We require you have waivers of liability for amenities. We require that your stairs and steps and porches have handrails and guardrails to prevent people from falling. Um, To go steps even further, put the double-sided tape on your rugs so people don't trip over them and they don't fold up on the corners. Um, You think about the different age demographics that are coming into your home. You can... Some people think it's ugly, but if you have a, a change in elevation on a floor that's a single step, put a little watch your step sign up. And what this does is not only just helps prevent these from happening, but it provides measures of defensibility for your insurance company as well. If something does happen, I've gone through the necessary steps and I have these things in place and that helps us with exhibit A, exhibit B, exhibit C in your defense. That's really, really good. Like, Cause that's something I don't even think about. It's like, you know, it's steps, you take a step up, but maybe you need to make sure they know to take a step up. So you don't yeah. have, we have a We have a client in Vermont um, who I got to visit their property uh, a couple of years ago at the Vermont uh, state conference. And um, she's got, she's got 
labels on everything. Um, she's got maps, exit plans in the house, like a hotel. Where's the fire extinguishers? Um, going down into the basement, there's a watcher step sign. Use hand, like, you know, her pool. I mean, signage, no diving, the, you know, classic stuff you see at hotels. But she also remains occupied for a majority of the year. So it doesn't take away from people staying at your house. And I think she gets a lot of return clients just because they're exceptionally comfortable with the home um, because all that stuff is there. They feel very safe while they're staying there with their family. Well, yeah, let's talk about pools for a minute. Back to Florida. Well, pools aren't specific to Florida, but there sure are a lot of them. There's a lot of pools in California, too. I just booked an Airbnb in um, Indio. We're going to the Power Trip Festival in a couple of weeks. And uh, everything, everything there has a pool. So what are we doing about pools? What's your coverage? How do, how do we protect ourselves on that? Yeah, so the big things are obviously follow any of the state codes or ordinance around pools. If, if they require self-locking fences and gates and pool alarms, make sure that stuff's in. in. In terms of our specific safety requirements around underwriting, it's very simply depth markers. So you need to have depth markers on all sides of the pool. Again, providing defensibility to our clients, um, you as the homeowner. You need to have some type of signage, no lifeguard on duty, swim at your own risk, things like that, um, and rescue equipment. And so whether that be a shepherd hooks or a throw buoy, um, those are important safety aspects to have at the property for self-rescue. Um, to go above and beyond that, don't provide inflatables. Don't provide pool noodles and things like that because you may not think about it now, but you're influencing folks who can't really swim. You're giving them a false sense of security that I'm using this inflatable flamingo and I'm gonna be okay. Right. But as the day goes on and they fall off and they can't swim, we got liability issues because you provided that amenity. So, um, you know, let them go to the local supermarket and get pool noodles and inflatables and then remove them from your property on your post day inspection. Just eliminate that risk. Right. It's not something that you need to take on. It doesn't matter who you insure with. Just eliminate that risk from your property. You already have the pool, which is a great amenity to have um, and let the guests enjoy the pool how they want to don't influence their decisions on how they, how they enjoy that amenity. You know, I'm pretty sure the property that I booked does have, I think it was a swan inflatable in the main picture. So that's really good to know because I think a lot of people want to have all that stuff to be like, Hey, look, we have all this stuff for you. Enjoy yourself. But really it's a big, a big liability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is have, um, have certified flotation equipment at your property. People who can't swim, We'll see that you have life jackets and it's their decision to put one on or not, right? Um, but, and a lot of people will put the inflatable swans in their photos just for that, you know, great photo. So it looks fun um, and and they're not at the property, right? So if it is there, you know, don't fall off of it. Hopefully you know how to swim. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're if you're a host in that situation, uh, just, just remove the risk. It's not, you can't filter properties on Airbnb and Verbo and all the other booking sites for inflatable amenities at a pool. You just search by pool, right? So um, that's what the guest is looking for. They're looking for a pool. They're not looking for all this other stuff. I'm going to make a note of whether I'm going to remember to check and see if that, that swan is there when we check in. Yeah. Of course, I'm not going to say anything to the host because hosts <laughs> make the worst guests. So, yeah. okay. I have some, um, I think the burning question that everyone wants me to ask a couple of them. So what would you say is the most common insurance claim that you guys get? 
So from a property damage standpoint, it's going to be water damage, whether caused by a guest or, or a frozen pipe. Um, guests get distracted. They're filling up the bathtub. Kids are screaming and they overflow the bathtub causing a lot of water damage. And then from a liability standpoint, it's the, it's a trip and fall. Um, and most commonly it's, it's around stairs. And that's why we require handrails. Cause again, now we have that method of defensibility. It's also written in the building code, regardless of when your property was built, that you need to have handrails on four or more risers. So, um, we really follow that. So those are important things to, to keep in mind. Um, is is the water damage stuff and then the the slip trips and falls i i would really press on people to go visit their property and don't look at it like your home think about it like you were walking into a hotel and if you didn't see some of those signages if you didn't know where the the fire extinguishers were things like that there's you know maybe you need to make some changes and that's something we can help walk you through um as well because those are fundamental requirements for all of our insureds Okay. And one more question that's a little bit sorted. What is the craziest thing you've ever seen happen in a short-term rental? Oh my goodness. That's a tough one because there's a lot of crazy. Um, so from guest cause damage, uh, this was probably the most wild example. Now damage in this capacity probably only happens in our book, book of business once a year. And uh, we have about 50,000 clients. So very infrequent, but what ended up happening was, um, a group of 20 something year olds booked a property of uh, one of my actual personal clients um, through a party the first night, his neighbor notified, uh, notified him of it, he kicked him out. The next night they came in and broke into the house and threw a raging party and pulled cabinets off the wall, broke the windows, had a bonfire with furniture, found paint cans oh in his shed and like, if you've ever seen me at a live show when I'm doing a presentation, you've seen these pictures, a little over $100,000 in damage done to the property. Um, that was the, probably the most wild scenario that was more or less retaliation from the guests by getting kicked out of the property um, for throwing a party in the first place. From a liability claim, there's been some wild ones, um, but recently we've had two guests fall off cliffs at properties. Um, waterfront properties, high on a bluff, no signage, no lighting. We weren't able to underwrite it correctly because we didn't have photos of this. It wasn't shown to us on the online listing. Um, one of them was late at night. Guests went for a walk down a gravel path that led to the edge, fell 30 feet. Um, it's about a two and a half million dollar liability suit against the property owner. And we would have required a fence. We would have required a sign um, letting them know that they're coming up against an abrupt edge. The other one was another uh, cliff situation on a, on a high bluff where the insured's dog actually fell off the cliff, um, fell down onto the beach. And then the insured was trying to climb down the cliff, or I'm sorry, the guest to climb down the cliff to get the dog um, and fell off and also got hurt and life flighted out of there. And oh. so if you're, yeah, if you, if you're a property on a bluff, put up fences, <laughs> fence off the bluff, stop people. It's dark. It's late. They've had drinks. They don't know the property. They, they find themselves on that edge. It, it's, you cannot buy enough liability insurance to protect yourself against that. And it's going to be way, way cheaper for you to 
put a fence up than it is to battle this out in court. Oh my goodness. That's terrible. Yeah. Those are, those are the extreme examples of, of things that can happen. Which is why you need to make sure <laughs> that you <laughs> yeah. have enough insurance. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, we've had two of those in the last year. Um, and so that means that our underwriting company is going to be pressing really hard on our insureds and new clients who have properties on a bluff um, for for fencing. Yeah, and that might not be even something that you think about disclosing to your insurance. You might not even think about it. Yeah, it's um, and I look at it, you know, like I know every inch of my house, but the guests don't necessarily know every inch of my house. And I think we kind of get a little jaded as property owners that well, everyone lives in a home or lives in an apartment. They kind of know the ins and outs of everything. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're they're complete strangers in a new property in a new environment who aren't familiar with their surroundings. And the the responsibility falls on us as property owners to provide safe and enjoyable environments. And even though you might think that fence or that guardrail, quote unquote, blocks the view, the view doesn't matter if somebody gets hurt. And so it's important to take a different approach not just from an insurance standpoint and risk management, but also safety at your property. And that's the biggest thing we're trying to educate consumers on because that's one of the biggest arguments from a regulatory standpoint as well, is bad players in the industry with unsafe properties that provide injuries to people visiting. And and we kind of want to change that. And um, that's where people might get frustrated with us in, in some cases with their underwriting. You got to put a handrail on these stairs and they don't want to do it. And somebody slips and falls down the stairs, you don't have a handrail, we can't defend you. We'll pay the liability, but now moving forward, we simply just won't insure you. Um, our rates are already high enough. We don't need bad risk and you know, hosts who are unwilling to take the steps for a safe property. Ooh, yeah. So guys, if that isn't, those stories aren't a good enough reason, <laughs> make sure that you guys have the right insurance and too much over-insure yourself uh, always be overinsured rather than than under. I've heard people before say things like, well, they're just willing to take the risk because uh, they didn't want to pay X amount for insurance. And it's mo- it's probably not worth that risk, guys. Yeah, I think a majority of us are, and I'm, I'm, I do it too. I mean, I shop my insurance every year for my regular home. I, I want to get the best rate. Um, but I think we have this mindset and I'm going to blame insurance marketing. And I used to be part of that atmosphere about 10 years ago, um, of just price cut, price cut, price cut. Um, but when we're doing, when we're dealing with a cash flowing asset, if upgrading your insurance to the right coverage and just kind of put your investor hat on, um, if you're going to make $2,000 a year less, say that's the delta between your current insurance and an upgrade to a better coverage. If that difference in $2,000 a year is going to completely change or put your profitability into the negative on the property, that property is probably not a good investment to begin with. right? And so if you're looking at a home and you're doing all the research and and the folks that you guys coach and, and help out and get them into this realm, if they find a great property, you're like, oh my, this place is after expenses, I'm going to gross $35,000. And then a good upgraded insurance premium is five. Okay, you're going to make $30,000 instead of 35, but you're protected. You're not going to lose your entire cash flow 
on your investment because you had to self-insure some of these losses. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to move to the last three questions of the show that we ask all of our guests. So the first one is what advice would you give 20 year old Nick? I would two pieces of advice. One invest early and invest often, which was not something I did. Um, And two, don't worry about FOMO. Take the time in your early 20s to invest early and often, to grind out and focus, work on your mental health, your physical health, educate yourself. I didn't go to college. Um, It didn't work for me. But learn everything you can with everything in front of you. There's so many available resources and so many available free resources for education. Focus on that for 10 years. And then you don't have to worry about FOMO because you can go and do whatever you want to do. That is true. And along those same lines, what advice do you have for a new short-term rental investor who's looking to get started today? So to keep it on the insurance topic, I would I would say spend, spend a decent amount of time researching and reviewing insurance. This definitely should not be a same day decision. It should not be a cost basis decision. You really need to get and and educate yourself on the ins and outs of what that 100 page contract you are buying contains and what that means to your risk management plan. Um, You're not just a property owner, you're a business owner and that means you're also the risk manager. Um, So take the time to understand what coverage you're buying so that you know it's right for, for your future plans. Also great advice. And this one's a little more fun. What is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? So right now I am halfway through a book called Endure by Cameron Haynes. Um, He's an avid uh, outdoorsman and hunter and ultra runner and very much uh, like kind of David Goggins-esque, if you will. Um, But this book is kind of autobiographical as well as, you know, kind of reset your brain and your mentalities. And um, when you find your end point or where you think you have exerted everything, give it an extra 20%. And then next time, give it another 20%. So I'm really liking that book. Um, it's It's been uh, it's been kind of eye-opening when you kind of get in a rut and uh, just kind of going day to day. And I, I think it's a really good, it's a really good read regardless if you're whether it's a lot about bow hunting and, and being in the mountains and stuff. And even if that's not your, your MO or maybe not something you totally agree with, just that kind of mindset he brings to the table, um, really change your perspective. How you look at every situation day to day. Awesome. Nobody has recommended that one yet. So good, good option. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good read. And the guy's just insane like runs a marathon every morning and then lifts weights and then bow hunts and then goes to a day job. <laughs> it's like, Oh my goodness. How do you, yeah, <laughs> and I, I can barely fit in two kids and, and a work day, you know? So yeah. <laughs> that is a lot. Yeah. Well, so Nick, thank you so much for coming on. If our listeners want to learn more about proper, maybe follow you guys on social media, maybe sign up for a consultation, buy some insurance. How do they do that? Yeah, best way is just go to our website, uh, proper.insure, or just Google proper insurance or short-term rental insurance. You'll see us pop up. Um, 
tons of education information, regulatory info all over our website. Even if you're a current client listening to this, it's always good to just check in on the website as we're constantly updating those regulatory blogs and and all of that. Um, but yeah, you just give us a call and and we'll just go through your property address, have your current insurance policy in front of you and feel free to email it over. And I mean, just carve out 30 minutes and have a chat and see if an upgrade is is right for you and or if you're comfortable with where you're at we totally get it right it's not a uh it's not a pressure situation we just want to help everybody understand and better assess you know how they're managing that risk and make sure to disclose if you have cliffs on your property <laughs> <laughs> yes yes absolutely we we're only as good as what we can see to help you from a safety standpoint so um don't don't hold anything back with what you have going on at your property because we don't want to have hiccups if you do move forward with us 30 or 60 days down the road with underwriting we we want to deal with all that on the front end and and get you into a, the right fit policy so all right well nick thank you so much for coming on and we will catch you later 